0: Well, good morning. good morning. Welcome to everybody who is with us live at one of our campuses or joining us online. My name is Taylor. I'm one of the teaching ministers here. And I'm excited to kick off this new series called Highs and Lows in the Book of Psalms. So if you got your Bible, go ahead and turn to Psalm 77. Psalm 77 is where we're going to be. While you're turning over there, I, uh, I just want to do a quick shout out for something that happened this last Uh, week at our church. So last Sunday, we had something called Communicators Weekend, and across our three campuses, with eight different worship services, we had eight different communicators bring a word to the church. And, uh, and, man, I just heard such great things about how you were blessed by what you heard at your service with your communicator, all kinds of different things that, man, just causes us, it should cause us to feel so grateful to be part of a church with so many uh, gifted men and women who want to share God's word. So live at all of our campuses, can we give some love to all the communicators? Absolutely. Yeah, it's good stuff. If uh, if you're listening and you're like, oh man, I missed that. I I I want I want to see what happened. You can go to uh, YouTube, the Hills Church account. There's a playlist with all of those eight messages, so you could just binge watch eight sermons. At some point, you'll be blessed by any of those that you listen to. I promise. So as we start this new series, I want to ask you a question. Do you remember your first crayon box? Maybe, uh, maybe it was like that, that thin one that was just kind of six, those basic primary colors, or maybe a 12. But over time, as you grew up, your crayon count leveled up, didn't it? You start going to the 32 box, and then the 64. And then I felt like, for me, you'd really made it when you got to that 128 that had the sharpener on the side of the box. You know what I'm talking about? Like, oh man, once you had that, like you were, you were made. Because now you didn't just have orange, you had burnt sienna, you had desert sand, you had amber, you had all these different hues that you could use in order to draw exactly what you wanted to and depict these pictures that got more complicated and nuanced and expressive. And the same is true for our emotions. We start to grow up and we understand some basic emotions it's interesting i was thinking about it even the way we talk about basic emotions we've sometimes tied to color like if you're live at one of our campuses you can you can help me finish this so if somebody is feeling sad we say oh well they're feeling kind of that's right somebody's angry oh she's seeing somebody's jealous oh they are green with envy that's right relatively simple colors for relatively speaking, simple emotions. But as we grow up, our emotional crayon count has to grow, doesn't it? Yes. Because we're not just sad, we're defeated. We're not just angry, we're embarrassed. We're not just jealous, we're resentful. Now, what I've said so far is true regardless of whether or not you believe there is a God. This is a basic description of what it means to grow into maturity in adolescence and adulthood. Our emotional crayon count starts to increase as we describe what it means to have, have different feelings and emotions come up. Yes. Now, there are, there's times where some, some version of emotional immaturity is that we're trying to describe all these things we're feeling, but we still only have a six-count emotional crayon box. Now, Don't anybody live at our campuses elbow or look at anybody else, okay? This is a place of grace. But as we mature, we have to find these different ways to describe what we're feeling and experiencing. And as I've said, that's true whether or not you believe that there is a God. And if that's you, if you're somebody who'd say, I I wouldn't describe myself as a Christian. I'm not exactly sure what I believe. I'm so glad that you're listening. I'm glad that you're here with us live or maybe maybe later on podcast. Thank you for being with us. And I'm about to say something that maybe you're not on board with yet. But as Christians, we believe that God made the world. And then when he started making people, the, the Bible says that he made people in his image means God decided to pull from his own divine crayon boxes. He outlined women and men and and what we would feel and experience. He made us as we are, meaning he made us as emotional beings. That means that whether we like it or not, we will spend a lifetime dealing with how we're feeling. And it also means that the emotions we feel don't have to be an obstacle to our relationship with God, but may in fact be a medium through which we go deeper with God. Because when we look in the Bible, we find the full spectrum of emotions written to God, written about God, and describing the highs and lows of the human experience. And that is especially true in the book of Psalms. This is the prayer book, the song book of God's people. And so as we begin this series, we're going we're to begin with one that, that has some lows and has some highs. That, that has the full spectrum in some ways. In Psalm 77. So if you haven't turned there yet, turn over to Psalm 77. Uh, for Mavs fans, you can call this the Luca psalm. And since it has a full range of emotions, that's fitting for being really any kind of sports fan in the Metroplex. Beginning in verse 1. I cried out to God for help. I cried out to God to hear me. When I was in distress, I sought the Lord. At night, I, I stretched out untiring hands, and I would not be comforted. I remembered you, God, and I groaned. I meditated and my spirit grew faint. You kept my eyes from closing. I was too troubled to speak. From the first words, we have a cry out to God. And verse one says that the psalmist is is saying, I'm crying out to you, God, believing that you will hear me. That is, in fact, the foundation for the whole prayer book of the Psalms. The belief that when we cry out in in the highs or the lows, we, we will not have our prayers fall on deaf ears. But a divine Father who stoops down to hear His children, who cares to hear us in the highs and the lows. But even though this is where the prayer starts, the verses that follow they kind of describe the real experience. I'm praying, God, I want you to hear me, but here's how I feel. Here's what I'm going through. And this is, this is someone who says, God, things are so hard. I'm I'm in so much pain and distress and confusion that right now, even when I think about God, I just feel worse. This goes against all of our spiritual formulas, doesn't it? Man, if you're, if you're low on peace and comfort and, and any good feelings, then you just need to increase your time with God and that should do it, right? But here's somebody who says, no, I, I try and even think about my, my relationship with God. I try to even meditate on the Lord and I just feel worse. It's the type of person who walks into church service. Maybe you've had this experience before. You walk in and every single week, We gather as a church family with people in all different places in the emotional spectrum. And here's someone who in their lows is coming in and going, it hurts to sing these words. It hurts to pray these prayers. It hurts to hear good news preached in a time when I don't feel like I'm ready to even receive any of that. Someone who says, I, I refuse to, to, to be comforted. And that, that can leave, leave us in the place where, well, as Brian Chappell puts it, real life gets in the way of our spiritual formulas. Real life is not always going to settle for Sunday school answers that seem so simple. And the person who refuses to be comforted is going, I'm in pain and so if you come in at me with, a, with a, a short little Bible verse, well, you know, God's always got a plan. Well, God's eyes on the Spirit. You know what? That may be true, but get that out of my face right now. This psalm is willing to acknowledge there are times when we're just not ready to hear that. And out of that, the psalmist begins to think about better days, days when they felt closer to God, when they could worship more earnestly. But thinking about those better days only leads to harder questions. I thought, the psalmist writes, about the former days, the years of long ago. I remembered my songs in the night. My heart meditated, and my spirit asked, will the Lord reject forever? Will He never show His favor again? Has his unfailing love vanished forever? Has his promise failed for all time? Has God forgotten to be merciful? Has he in anger withheld his compassion? These questions hurt to read. In some ways, because it's... <laughs> It's like the psalmist is saying, Is it even worth having faith if this is what life is like? But as we begin this series, it's important to understand God provides a healing place to ask painful questions. God knows that this is some of what we experience, what we feel, and instead, of what some of us are tempted to do, what I have been tempted to do in past, which is to go, man, I've got all this hurt, I've got all this pain, and I don't feel like I'm allowed to bring any of that to God in prayer. Instead, we just decide we're just going to take it somewhere else. I'll stuff it down, or I'll I'll go vent at somebody else. And yet God says, no, I've, I've made a place where you can ask these questions. Here we are in God's word. These questions are right here, but we don't even feel like we're allowed to express this in many of our church services. Maybe, maybe you grew up in church uh, like me, and if you grew up in an American church, more, more likely than not, you grew up in a culture and in an environment that didn't overtly teach this, but it, what was caught was, man, in hard times, you, you kind of got to grin and bear it. You coming into church and and culturally it's like man you got to put on your put on your church smile you got to use the church version of the four-letter word fine how are you doing i'm fine and sometimes that look for the silver lining was even kind of baptized with some scriptures Oh, you know, about, about these things God would do, about the season that would come. And here's the hard part. Those things might be biblically true, but but too often, instead of being patient with people in their pain, the church has tried to rush people to resolution. I just want for a moment, I want to speak to the person who's maybe asking these questions right now. And I want to say, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that that's what you're feeling and going through right now. And I'm sorry for any of the ways that God's people or that this church has in moments when we were trying to help, we just made it more painful. That was not of the Lord. God's patient with you. He sees you, he loves you. And he's not going to rush you through this. He's he's patient to be with you in the pain. And I'm sorry for moments where Christians have, with good intentions, just given you a Bible verse or tried to resolve something when you weren't ready for that. If I'm being honest, the times when I've been tempted to do that ministering to other people it's just out of my own insecurity and that sometimes we're not emotionally trusting of the lord that he'll give us the strength to just sit with people and so if that's been your experience i want you to hear i'm sorry that's not god god makes a space for you to ask these questions he's inspired these words in his prayer book so that you, in times of pain, can give those back to God. God's promise that his Holy Spirit would intercede for us in moments when we feel this way, but we don't even have words. Romans 8 says the Holy Spirit intercedes when all we have are groans and sighs. But I want all of us to know that while God makes a space for us to ask these hard questions, God, God also doesn't leave us there. Nowhere in Scripture does God just leave us with the questions, but in his mercy and grace, he meets us there and can even prepare us to do what happens next in this psalm. Verse 10 says, Then I thought, to this I will appeal. The years when the Most High stretched out his right hand. Pause for just a moment here on verse 10. Depending on your translation, because of the the difficulty of the Hebrew in this verse, translators have kind of done this two different ways. One is like the NIV that's saying, all right, this is what I'm going to appeal to. This is what I'm going to think about. Times when God reached out and showed his favor. Some of the other translations, yours might say something closer to, this is my grief that the hand of the Lord Most High has obscured or changed. Either way, the framework here for the psalmist is to go, man, I'm just I'm trying, to, trying to wrestle with the fact that it feels like things are different now than they were before. And so the psalmist moves and says in verse 11, I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your miracles of long ago. I will consider all your works and meditate on all your mighty deeds. Now, this psalm is not a formula, but it does paint a picture of a journey. To meet God in our questions that are difficult and hard, but then to say, God, you have given me more to draw from than just my own experiences and my own present circumstances. You've given me, here the psalmist says, your works, your mighty deeds, your miracles of long ago. This is the songwriter's way of saying, okay, God, you know what? There is a track record of your faithfulness I can draw from. It makes me think, and, and if you're taking notes, you can write this down. God provides a way forward by looking back. That's what he does. So I was thinking about somebody that our church just commissioned. His name is Silas. He is a Bible translator Uh, We commissioned he and his wife Katie, their daughter Eden, just last month. And they're going to a part of the world we can't talk about uh, in order to reach uh, some people who don't have God's word written in their native language. They're going to begin this Bible translation effort. It's an incredible thing. And I I remember hearing Silas uh, teach some some time ago about when you're facing an uncertain future, how we're tempted in our flesh, in the timeline of our lives, when we're facing an uncertain future, what we're tempted to do is to go, okay, I'm going to treat this like I'm, being, like I'm on a bike or I'm on a car. So here we go. Bo- I've got both, both, uh, both hands up. On the handlebars, I've got my eyes set, and and even though I'm kind of in the fog of this pain and this confusion, and I'm not sure what's next, and I'm not sure how to get through, I'm, if I can just squint, if I can pedal fast enough, if I can keep my eyes peeled for any any next pothole or divot, this will kind of be the way to get through. Or if you're driving, keep your hands at ten and two, and like like driving through a fog or driving through a snowstorm, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna try and make it through, and I'll and I'll try and be as careful as possible, and just watch. And sometimes in our flesh, this is how we try to approach times of pain and confusion and uncertainty. But Silas said, these kind of moments in Scripture, and it's not just here in Psalm 77. This is many different places in Scripture where someone is called to remember some things from the past. What we have to do is counterintuitive in our flesh. Instead of focusing on the uncertainty or the pain or obstacles in my present, I'm going to turn around. And when I look back at the record of history, God has a resume that is unchanging no matter how changing my circumstances are. God has a record of faithfulness no matter how uncertain things feel right now. And no matter how much I'm questioning whether he's still faithful, God, your resume doesn't change even though my my circumstances and my feelings do. And so that means that while we look back, This becomes the way that we can move forward, not with our head over our shoulders, still trying to figure it out, but posturing like we're faithful. Hold on for a second. Did anybody hear that? (laughs) Posturing like I'm faithful, but really I'm still trying to stay in control. Posturing like I'm I'm trusting you, God, but also, please, I got to figure this out. No, God God invites us into a place where we say, God, I trust you and the thing I can grab onto, the anchor that I have is actually in the past in the ways that you've been faithful to me. You've been faithful to my family. You've been faithful to people in my community group who have a testimony that's meant something to me. You've been faithful in your word to your people. You've been faithful through Jesus. You've been faithful in all these things. And these are things I can grab onto and say, God, I'm going to fix my eyes on your faithfulness and this becomes my path forward. Which leads the songwriter. Look at verse 13. I want you to notice there's going to be this change in language. Your ways, God, are holy. What God is as great as our God? You are the God who performs miracles. You display your power among the peoples. With your mighty arm, you redeemed your people, the descendants of Jacob and Joseph. The waters saw you, God. The waters saw you and writhed. The very depths were convulsed. The clouds poured down water. The heavens resounded with thunder. Your arrows flashed back and forth. Your thunder was heard in the whirlwind. Your lightning lit up the world. The earth trembled and quaked. We've had this turn. And did you notice the, the language turn here? Because So uh, Old Testament scholar Walter Brueggemann points out in the first 12 verses, if you just glance at them, your Bible app or, or the page in front of you, you just glance at them, it's, it is first personal pronoun. It's I, me, my. I cried out, I was in distress, I sought the Lord, I remembered, I meditated, I was too troubled. My songs, my heart. But then there's this turn as the psalmist begins to look back, and the turn is to you. Your ways, God. You are the God performing miracles. Your power, your mighty arm, your people, the the water saw you, God. There's just a little indication here that one of the things that happens as we pray honestly, as we process our feelings in God's presence, God will provide a way for us in worship to escape the prison of our own selves. And sometimes when we're in pain, we're just looking for an escape, right? And honestly, I was reflecting on it and realizing how often for me is that escape something that I look at on my phone Something that I try to watch instead, just anything else to try and get away. And God says, if you want to get away from yourself, one opportunity is for you to look back at me, fix our eyes on God and say, you, God, you're the provider, you're the sustainer, you're sovereign over creation, you, 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 your mighty arm, your power, your deliver." This is where we start to go, you know what? I don't have to be a victim, though I am in a hard place. Though I am feeling trapped, though I am facing sleepless nights, though this is so painful and so hard and so confusing, I don't have to just be stuck with I, me, mean my. But in worship, I am delivered to who you are, God, and to focus on you. Now, that, that doesn't mean that we've just escaped all these lows, We actually have someone who in the midst of all their pain is is beginning to say, you know what? I don't have to stay here forever. I still feel all of this, but I can come up here and worship for a moment and remember who you are. That doesn't change the pain down here. That doesn't fix things. That doesn't tie a bow on this situation. But God, you're reminding me there's a better perspective. There's another perspective. There's a way that you're faithful. There's a way that you're with me. And all of this sovereignty... All of this this talk about creation and God's power, the psalmist gives it somewhere to go. Verse 19, your path led through the sea, your way through the mighty waters, though your footprints were not seen. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. And abruptly, that's the end of the psalm. What's happening here? The songwriter brings up, along the long record of God's redemptive faithfulness, God's arguably biggest calling card in the Old Testament. His rescuing the people of Israel from slavery in Egypt. Some of you recognized that language as soon as it started talking about the path that leads through the sea. This is a reference to that Exodus moment when God split the Red Sea so that the Israelites who are are feeling oppressed and having an Egyptian army come to, to kill them and recapture them. The waters part. The Israelites walk through on dry ground into freedom, into liberation, and into a new relationship with God. Even though the psalmist says, but we didn't see your footprints. Did you notice that? Verse 19. In the moment of rescue, we still didn't see your footprints, but you were there working, and your power was evident because you were with us. If you're taking notes, last thing to write down is that God provides through his presence. I think that's why the songwriter was ready to say, last line, I'm done. Because God, you're, you're present with us in the deliverance. You're present in the struggle and the storm leading up to the deliverance. You're present after the deliverance in the wilderness where God was present with his people, leading them by a pillar of cloud by day, a pillar of fire by night. God was present working through imperfect people who led like Moses and Aaron. They were not perfect, but they were with God. And it's as if the songwriter praying is going, God, if you were there then, though your footsteps were not seen, then God, I believe you're here right now. In the lows, you're here. In the questions, you're here. In the pain, you're here. In the grief, you're here. In the anger, you're here. And God, I'm not better yet, but I'm with you. So I can move forward even as I look back. Because we, Christian, you have a calling card from God of his faithfulness. And it's not the exodus in the Old Testament. We have a new exodus because we have a new and better Moses. In Jesus, you realize God's always provided through his presence? If you're a follower of Jesus, you believe that God chose to be present with the people he created by becoming one of them. And in Jesus, fully God and fully man, God was present to feel the full spectrum of emotions that you feel. To experience the lows, the pain the hurt the inner conflict to even pray prayers where he would ask god to do things he knew god probably wasn't going to do he prayed before he would go to the cross god if it's your will will you take this cup from me yet not what i will but you what you will he knew what it meant to be abandoned and rejected and even wondering if he'd been rejected by God because he, he, he prayed, he cried out on the cross things that sound a lot like Psalm 77, but they were actually words from Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He prayed these things on the cross as he died to pay for your sins and for my sins. Through God being present, he faced our judgment, made our payment, And then, buried in the grave, God rolled that stone away three days later and he rose from the grave, present in victory and rescue. To not only forgive you, forgive me, but to to provide freedom. Freedom from sin and death and evil itself. And then when Jesus was going to leave his disciples, you know what he promised? He said, I will send you, he said, my spirit. You realize presence is still how God is providing with you right now, even in the pain you might feel or the questions you have? So here's here's what I want to do as as we end. I just want to make space for us to be able to maybe work through some of the things that have risen up in our heart as we've heard Psalm 77. I want to invite you to bow your heads. Is there a painful question you need to ask God? Is there something you feel like God forgot? Is there something you feel like God is withholding? Is there some part of who he is, his character or nature, that you feel like has disappeared from your sight? Do you feel rejected? And you can ask God that question right now. Are there some things that you need to remind yourself of in God's presence? Some ways he's been faithful? That if if it came from somebody else, oh, it would hurt, it would be a cop-out. But are there some things you need to remind yourself of? Memories stored in your heart you can name in his presence? Anchors God has given you in your life or in the word? that you can grab onto in his presence right now? And have you remembered his saving work? That he's present with you. God I am humbled to realize you would sit with us in this as long as we needed you are in no rush thank you Lord for being patient with us thank you for hearing our prayers and our cries thank you for inspiring questions that hurt to ask but are true to what we live through God, for for our whole church, for our community, I just ask, would you help us get better at being uncomfortable together in hard things? Would you help us get better at trusting you in the unresolved parts of our heart and our life? And would you help us remember the things we can hold on to of how you have been faithful and who you are no matter what we feel in the moment. God, we thank you for your saving work in Jesus. I pray for those who have yet to put their faith in you that they would realize there's a God who loves them so much that he came to save them. And for any of us who already believe in Jesus, have already put our faith in him, God, would you make that memory fresh of his saving work? We love you, Lord. Meet us in this place as we carry this this week. I pray that there's some people who would talk to you in ways they've never talked to you before. Who would come to you raw and real in ways that they haven't realized they've been, been allowed to and invited to by you? Mm. Jesus, go before us. And we pray this in his powerful name. Amen.